Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hello, mamas, and welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It's your favorite co-host, also your only co-host. It's Martha Mink and Ashley. And Martha, this that's the first time I think I ever heard you say your last name. I thought about it the second I said it, and then I regretted it. I was, they're going to find out where I live. And then we can hang out. I don't know. Um, so uh, today on the podcast, uh, normally we either uh, have an opportunity to talk to moms about their specific NICU journeys, or we get to interview professionals in the field um, related to NICU, high-risk pregnancy, mental health. And that is our episode today. Um, it is Preeclampsia Awareness Month. And I hear, I can hear women listening and nodding <laughs> and groaning in the background by just bringing it up because it's a huge part of many women's journeys in the NICU, including Ashley's. Yes. And I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> So today, in honor of Preeclampsia Awareness Month, we have our guest, Dr. Rebecca Tompkins. Hello. Can you say hi, Dr. Tompkins? Yes, I can. I'm very talkative. So hello. <laughs> um, and we had an outpouring of questions from our community when we reached out um, from, to them about this episode, and we can't wait to, to ask ask them to you. But first, can you just share a little bit about um, you, your story, um, personal and professional, and and uh, your practice today? Yeah, you bet. I'm um, originally from North Dakota. I'm from north of Minot. Um, I went to undergrad and medical school in North Dakota, and then I went out to Phoenix, uh, Arizona for my residency and then came right back here to the Fargo area, and I've been with Sanford ever since. Um, I'm in my 10th year with Sanford. Um, I've always just done OB-GYN and I love it. Um, and I am married to a spectacular man that's incredibly supportive and have two, um, beautiful, but very active, uh, kids that are 10 and 12. And, um, this is a very special one to me too, because both of my babies have been NICU babies. Mm. So I am, Aww. see, and I had, preeclampsia and help syndrome myself with my first baby. So um, this is a very special topic to my heart as well. So this is awesome. This is really the best of both of our, of both of our worlds in Dear NICU Mama. And I love the fact that you have the NICU element. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it makes it really holistic, I think, for our, um, uh, our moms and our listeners to see that providers are real people and have mm -hmm. really important life experiences that they bring into their practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I when I was going through it, it was like the worst time of my life. But in retrospect, I'm now grateful that I had that experience because I think it really I, I mean, when you're expecting to be able to hold your baby and you're not and they're whisked away to the NICU and then you're scrubbing in to go see your baby instead of getting to just pick them up out of the cradle like you've heard everybody else get to do and mm -hmm. you go home and your arms are empty and you have to come back and visit your baby instead of just getting to have it there with you it's it's um I mean and in, in, when you look back you're so grateful for all the help that the NICU was able to give and that that was there but boy when you're going through it it is just heart-wrenching so mm -hmm. I'm yeah. now in retrospect really glad that I had that experience because I can really relate to what those poor mamas have had to go through and it is it is um you can't be prepared for it, I don't think. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So how long had you been in practice before you developed preeclampsia or had your children? So I developed preeclampsia. With my first pregnancy, I was in my second year of residency. So I was, uh, I'd done about two years. Oh, Lord. I I got to say, blessings to people who do residency in med school while they're pregnant. My parents had... <laughs> My, my dad is a doctor and he had my eldest sister when he was in medical school and then my brother when he was in residency. And I, they had, you have no money. And, you know, there's, especially for women, the, the workload when you're pregnant, that's huge. You're on your feet all the time. And oh my gosh, you're a saint. Yeah. 
Oh, I, I no, my husband would disagree with that one. And my kid. <laughs> it, it is, it's, it's very demanding. And, um, I'm really glad to be past that part of my life. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so would you be willing to just share a little bit of your personal birth story with your firstborn? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Second year of residency is very demanding, and in my particular program, it was when we dealt with uh, that we were the ones that were taking care of the high-risk moms, and so I was very aware of what preeclampsia and HELP syndrome were. I was dealing with it on a daily basis, helping take care of moms that were either in the hospital or newly diagnosed with it coming in and needing to be delivered, and I had been having a perfectly fine pregnancy, and then uh, one week I was in to see my OB and had a very normal blood pressure, and um, over the weekend I was starting to feel just a little more puffy and a little more just not great, but it kind of attributed it to just being more pregnant, and I was in my 34th week, and then I had one particular case in the OR that I was helping somebody out with, and it got to be a very long case, and I just felt horrible at the end of it. So I went home, and I was supposed to come back that night for a lecture, but I stayed home, and I, my husband was um, taking classes, night classes at ASU, and just over the course of that evening and night, I it just had the worst right upper quadrant pain, but um, being in complete denial because it can't happen to you. <laughs> I thought that it was acid reflux and thought, boy, yeah, this is really there. I hadn't had any, and this is really something. And then um, I started uh, getting a really severe headache that was just pounding. And I called my husband, but he I said, no, nah, I don't think you have to come home. And then I realized that I was so puffy uh, so I drove down to the um, CVS at the corner and checked my blood pressure, and the pharmacist happened to see the number, and it was 200 and about 10 over 100, and he oh was so concerned. And I, of course, was through my you know pounding headache and severe right upper quadrant pain, was telling him that his machine was broken and he <laughs> should really look into getting it fixed because uh. there's no way my blood pressure could be that high. And then driving home, I kind of put it all together and drove myself to the hospital and my husband met me there and I have never been in such severe pain. My blood pressure was sky high. All my lab values came back showing HELP syndrome, and uh, they started inducing me right away. And um, it was kind of a race ag against time. My platelets kept dropping and dropping, and my I was on that horrible magnesium, and yeah. my uterus just wouldn't contract. And so after about 18 hours, my platelets got so low that um, they were just really getting worried about me. So they it was decided to transfuse me platelets on the operating room table and just do an emergency section to, mm. um, get my son out. And thankfully I was just in the best of hands. It was people that I'd known my whole training there and a very mm. good friend of mine that was the resident that did the surgery. And, um, they sneaked that little guy right out and he mm. was, he did great. He was in the NICU for just a, just a little bit. He didn't have to be in there for, uh, much longer longer than about a week and he did great. And, um, yeah. And the recovery process for me was probably a little bit longer because I just, boy, do you feel awful after you've had, had that? It's, yes. it's awful. And then you're trying to adjust to having a new baby and figuring that all out too. So it's, it's a tough, it's, it's tough. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And do you mind me asking, did your blood pressure levels stay elevated after you delivered or did they regulate? Oh, no, they stayed up for a while. So I was on some blood pressure medications and I was on the magnesium for the 24 hours afterwards, which is very standard. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and then I was on them for probably, gosh, that really blurs, doesn't it? Yeah. Probably about maybe two weeks or so afterwards and just kept checking my blood pressures and they finally just came down to a better range and I could stop. Sure. And what was it like for you, you know, being a medical provider and having this experience at the time? Did it change how you, you know, operate in your practice now or did it change how you, you know, communicate with moms? It was, I, I kind of separated myself a little bit, I think, into the mom instead of the doctor phase because mm -hmm. you kind of have to. You're so focused on your baby and then 
you just kind of have to um, survive it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but afterwards, it certainly did. I, you know, um, when you're saying that awful word magnesium, boy, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. It's so necessary. And note from the physician side of it, knowing why we put people on it and to try to help prevent seizures, which are horrible. And if you've seen somebody have an eclamptic seizure, you want to do everything in your power to help prevent that. But on the other side, having been on magnesium myself, I, oh, if we can avoid putting somebody on it, I really try to, because it's, Mm. it is just awful to have to go through that. And the whole experience is just, nobody begins their pregnancy and thinks, you know, I'm going to end this pregnancy, being on magnesium, feeling like I'm covered in wet cement, <laughs> having a severe headache, my right side feels like it's going to explode into my chest and mm-hmm. and be hooked up to all these different IVs and medications. So um, yeah, it really, it really changed my perspective. And I think it gave me a little bit more humility mm-hmm. um, to know what moms really have to go through in that process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wonder if now's a good time as ever to say, what the hey is preeclampsia? <laughs> that is such a good question. <laughs> and help syndrome. Ashley and I were just talking about this. You know, where does the line draw? Are they the same? Can you have both at the same time? Am I covering all the questions, Ash? Yes. Well, and I know for me personally, it was kind of confusing because I was admitted for preeclampsia, but then developed help syndrome. And so towards the end of my stay, they referred to me having help syndrome. So I was confused on what I actually had. (laughs) You probably had both. Uh, There's usually we look at help syndrome as being a severe form of preeclampsia. And so um, preeclampsia is, it's a disorder of pregnancy. You can't get it any time else. Um, And you can get it right after pregnancy as well. But uh, we think it's related to the placenta and kind of the interaction with the different um, things that the placenta can put into the um, mom's body and into the bloodstream and how it affects the blood vessels and the, um, and some of the specific organs. And then help syndrome is when those organs get more severely affected. And so uh, really help syndrome is a severe form of preeclampsia, but there is a little bit of debate about that because sometimes people just suddenly get help syndrome and kind of seem to almost skip the preeclampsia part of it. Um, You can get atypical help syndrome where you don't have the elevated blood pressures. And for preeclampsia, the elevated blood pressures are kind of the hallmark. But uh, for the most part, we kind of think of help syndrome as severe preeclampsia. Okay. Hmm. And how about that upper right quadrant pain that you had mentioned? Um, Mm -hmm. It's pretty painful. Mm -hmm. So can you explain what's happening in our body when we experience that? Sure. So there's a couple of things that are going on with that. It's all related to the liver. And so you get those high blood pressures. It's putting a lot of extra than pressure uh, of the blood in those little vessels that are into the, um, there's a capsule that surrounds the liver. And so when that gets really swollen, it is something that isn't, the liver isn't meant to expand a lot. And so it's pushing against that capsule that's around the liver. And that can be very, very painful. Mm -hmm. And then there's also some um, death of cells that's going on that can be very painful painful as well. Uh, When those little vessels uh, get such high blood pressure in them, they can make it so that they're not able to bring the blood to where it's supposed to go in the end organs, and in this case, in the liver. And so that tissue gets something called ischemia, or where it doesn't get enough oxygen to it. Um, And if it doesn't have oxygen to it for long enough, then those cells in that uh, tissue in that area can actually die. And so kind of that whole process brings up that right upper quadrant pain. Mm -hmm. Well, I just remember it was like a pain I had never, ever experienced before. (laughs) Isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I know. I said it's like the police song when people are like, when I, we always review it at the end, but I said it's every breath you take, every (laughs) move you make. (laughs) It's so painful. (laughs) It is so painful. I remember the drive to the hospital and every bump we would hit Mm -hmm. was just like excruciatingly painful. Mm -hmm. It just any movement. It really is. I had to walk down a long hallway to get to triage and I was just like 
counting the steps and just, mm-hmm. okay, I can make one more. I can make one more. It is like not no other pain I've ever had before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, and when you've, when you've been pregnant before, you know, boy, those little kiddos, they can just really get their little feet kind of up there or they can move. And so some moms, when I'm reviewing, you know, oh, look out for right upper quadrant pain. They'll be like, well, sometimes I have this little eight, you know, it's like pushing up there. I'm like, nope, you'll know. Yes, <laughs> it is. It is really painful. Yes. So, so painful. <laughs> And what are some of the warning signs that kind of contribute to preeclampsia or show that something isn't quite right? Well, the like like um, we discussed a little bit earlier, it's that elevated blood pressure. And so when you think about the blood pressure getting higher, it's how it's affecting those end organs. And that means like where those little capillaries kind of get to, the little tiny vessels. And so um, some of those things, one of those specific organs that it can affect are the kidneys. And so you'll see protein in the urine. That's a common finding that we have in somebody that has preeclampsia. It's not anything that you'll necessarily notice um, because you can't really see protein in the urine with the naked eye unless it's really, really severe. Um, But you also might notice that you start having less urine output um, because of that damage to the kidneys. It also can affect the eyes and the retinas. And so um, you start to get those little flashes of light or blurry vision because those little capillaries that are going to the retina and the eye aren't getting perfused enough. And so you start to get some damage to the eyes as well. So we always talk about the um, right upper quadrant pain because of the liver getting affected, those spots in front of your eyes um, because of that, because of the retinas not getting enough blood perfused to them. And then the same thing happens to the brain. And so you can get that really severe headache. Uh, and so if you have that triad, boy, we're, we're wanting you to come right on in because mm-hmm. that's indicating some damage to all those organs, which uh, thankfully usually can heal itself and isn't permanent. But if it does go on too long, I mean, there can be um, severe damage to the retinas that can cause even um, permanent blindness in mm-hmm. some rare cases. Um, the small vessels to the brain not getting enough blood can lead to stroke. And so, uh, and then permanent kidney damage can occur as well if it goes on too long. So, mm-hmm. um, one of the reasons we see moms so frequently at the end of pregnancy is to check their blood pressures and to be looking for those signs and symptoms because there are sometimes something that moms can just not notice or, Mm -hmm. or, um, kind of put to, Oh, this is just normal pregnancy things because boy, sometimes you do just get a headache or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because of the baby and the uterus being so big in the pelvis and it kind of impedes a little bit of the blood flow getting back so quickly, you'll get a little bit of flashes in front of your eyes when you bend over or turn quickly. Um, but we need to tease those things out a little bit and sometimes it can be a little bit tricky. Sure. And how about like swelling of the body and kind of like in your ankles? Mm-hmm. Um, I know for some women, swelling in pregnancy is really normal. And for some, like myself, swelling got really serious and was actually related to preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. So when is swelling a concern in pregnancy or when is it like, okay, something's not right? It's That's such a good question. And um, because swelling is so common in pregnancy, it actually isn't really a sign of preeclampsia. Okay. Um, it certainly comes with it frequently. And I get asked that all the time. Um, when When is that a concern? When it really is a concern is when it is also uh, comes along with those other symptoms, like the right sure. upper quadrant pain, the headache, the um, spots in front of the eyes, because uh, yes, I, boy, <laughs> there can be some really impressive swelling that pregnant mom get. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, as long as their blood pressure is looking fine and they're not having those other symptoms, you know, then we really deal with just trying to help them out with the swelling. So there isn't a specific amount of swelling that would tip us off. It's when it is related with the, or excuse me, when it comes with those other other, um, signs and symptoms when the blood pressure starts to go up. So what I usually tell moms is if you suddenly have, you know, boy, I've really gained a lot of weight this week and my goodness, I, my shoes don't fit anymore. My rings don't fit anymore. I've really had a lot of swelling. Um, come on in and get your blood pressure checked out. Hmm. So we've learned what the warning signs are for preeclampsia. What then is, are the big red flags for help syndrome? 
basically when we're seeing the lab values change. And so there, um, if you are starting to have really severe right upper quadrant pain, typically that means that you're going to have some abnormalities of the lab values when we're checking blood work. Uh, but HELP syndrome really is diagnosed through the blood work. And uh, because HELP syndrome is an acronym, it actually stands for hemolysis, which means breakdown of your red blood cells elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets. So to be able to be diagnosed with HELP syndrome, you need to be able to have the blood work done and see those changes. Gotcha. It's interesting though, because it seems like when it, it, everything happens really quickly from all the stories that I hear, you know, um, there's, you know, maybe you have preeclampsia for several weeks, but if it turns into help, sometimes that can be a really quick onset. So is it kind of retroactively that you're diagnosing it? You know, I mean, if you have to deliver a baby, there's no time to, you know, let's check what the blood count is, you know, is that right? Well, we usually we're trying to figure out if we need to deliver the baby or not and getting those lab values, which thankfully we can usually get in 15 minutes or less um, if we're if we're in the hospital. Um, that actually does really help us to determine, do we need to deliver right now or can we go on a little bit further? Uh, like in my specific case, we were really trying to have a vaginal delivery because um, that was what I was really hoping for. Um, but we were just following the labs every day excuse me, we were following the labs every hour and my platelets were just getting so low that I was at risk of just spontaneously hemorrhaging because I had hardly any platelets left. Um, So that's how we really use those labs a lot. Uh, You know, sometimes if we have very, very severe high range blood pressures and we just can't get them down with IV medications, uh, then we are just you know, boy, it's just safer for mom and baby to get delivered right away. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we're Mm kind of looking at those labs later. Or sometimes um, as we're following the labs after the baby's been born, we start to notice that those liver enzymes are decreasing, or excuse me, are increasing, and the platelets are decreasing. That would give us that diagnosis. Um, But typically the, the cure for having preeclampsia or HELP syndrome is to get delivered. So we mm-hmm. often see maybe a little um, dip in the wrong direction on either side with those lab values. But usually after delivery, we start to see everything start to get a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's incredible how quickly things can move in on labor delivery. Yes. We, we train extensively for that. <laughs> I would hope so. I mean, that's probably... <laughs> yes. And is there anything that causes preeclampsia or are there any personal health risk factors or environmental factors that contribute to a mom developing preeclampsia? Well, there certainly are risk factors for it. Um, so we we see that most people that have preeclampsia, it's more common if it's your first pregnancy. So oh, really? Uh, for first, yep. So for first time moms, they have a higher risk of getting it. Um, the other, some of the other more common things that we see are if it is in somebody that is advanced maternal age and typically our cutoff for that, which I hate that term, right? <laughs> I am trying to, I'm trying to bring about the new term of mature experienced gravita or a Meg because it just sounds cute and who yeah. be a Meg. Um, so you can just push that, but, yes. <laughs> but the advanced maternal age is usually 35, but for preeclampsia, the increased risk tends to be a little bit more with age 40 and older. Um, if you've had preeclampsia in the past, it increases your risk for having it again. Uh, and then having a lot of underlying conditions, or there, excuse me, there are a lot of underlying conditions that can increase your risk for having preeclampsia as well, specifically those things like um, having blood pressure issues before you ever got pregnant, having uh, diabetes certainly increases the risk for that. Um, women that are of African-American, um, heritage tend to have a higher risk of getting preeclampsia. Um, and then it's interesting as well, but if you've had less than two years between having a pregnancy, um, that increases your risk a little bit, but also if it's been more than 10 years since your last pregnancy, that also increases your risk a little bit. So uh, there's lots of things that go into that. 
I I love hearing all this stuff this again because as someone who's had multiple high risk pregnancies, when you go back the second parent time, they're like, in well, under a full moon, if you blink twice, <laughs> yeah. the research says this. And then if you do, you know, there's just all these specific kind of pockets of research that show different things. And it's just I think it's incredible that that um providers really dedicate themselves to knowing all of these things and being able to look at it for different kind of lenses all the time because things change so quickly. They really do. They're so preeclampsia is one of those um, really severe issues that is not terribly uncommon. Uh, you know, it's estimated that about two to eight percent of women will have preeclampsia or, you know, two, two to eight percent of pregnant women will get preeclampsia. Um, so it's not something that's uncommon. So there's a lot of research that's always going on um, about ways to try to diagnose it earlier, about ways to try to treat it. Uh, there's just so much going into that. But yeah, there is, um, as as obstetricians, it's because it's so prevalent and so common, we really try to stay up to date on the research. And on the research side of things, there's people that just dedicate their entire lives to doing research for preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I guess I had a very naive understanding of preeclampsia and how serious it was until I had it myself. Mm-hmm. And I just remember hearing a lot of different perspectives on it. Like, you know, some women got it and it wasn't a big deal. And so, you know, in my naive mind, I really didn't think it was that <laughs> serious until I got it myself. And then they kind of explained it to me afterwards of this is all what happened in your body. <laughs> That's so interesting that you say that, Ashley, because my first understanding of preeclampsia was from uh, the wonderful television show Downton Abbey. I don't know if either of you watched it or not. There's silence, so I'm assuming. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it takes place at like the turn of this, like World War I era Mm -hmm. in England. And one of the main characters, spoiler alert, dies of preeclampsia because they won't bring her to the hospital. So when I was delivering my child, I said, I know how this ends up. I know what I'm going to be just like Sybil, like talking to this incoherently to the RNs. Like they were, (laughs) had no idea what was going on. Anyway, but it's so interesting because I think. You're right, Ashley. It's like there's very inconsistent knowledge about it. You know, it's just not something that's in the common lexicon. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know for me, most of the times that I heard about preeclampsia was later in pregnancy. Sure. And so I always associated preeclampsia with full-term pregnancy, not preterm. And most women do deliver d- develop it later in pregnancy, um, and that's why we kind of watch so closely at the end of pregnancy for that. Mm-hmm. But it can happen at any 20 weeks and beyond. Um, it can happen. And the the earlier that you get it in a pregnancy, the more chance that you have for getting it again in another pregnancy. The the mm-hmm. number that we kind of throw around, because I hear it all the time, and it was, it was one of the first things that I Googled um, <laughs> after I got home from the hospital was what's the recurrence rate of of this. And I, I was, um, did my due diligence. I did more than just a Google search, but, um, you know, when you really look into the literature, the number that we usually quote people is there's a 20% chance of recurrence of having preeclampsia. Um, but if you had it really early, um, like 24 or 22 weeks of pregnancy, that risk can be as high as 80% of having it back again. Um, and you know, if you had it at, you went past your due date and you were 40 plus weeks, sometimes the numbers uh, in the research show that to be as little as 5%. So mm-hmm. it really does, you're, you're exactly right. Most of the time when you hear about it, it's in the um, full term, close to the due date, because that is when most cases occur. But boy, it can occur at any at any time, really, after 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. So for the mom who's listening to this and had preeclampsia in their previous pregnancy, and is really scared to get it again, um, is there anything that a mom can do to prevent preeclampsia in their next pregnancy? The short answer is yes. Um, the the recurrence rate of, like we talked, like I was just saying, it was is about 20% is what I usually quote to people. Um, having been in that exact same situation and thinking I'd really like to have another pregnancy and have another baby, but... Um, boy, I really would like to not have to go through that again. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. That, you know, I look at it as 20% chance of getting it, but 80% chance of not getting it again. So if you have to play the odds, that's, (laughs) That's (laughs) you have an 80% chance of not getting preeclampsia again. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But there are some things that you can do to try to decrease your chances of getting preeclampsia. There certainly isn't anything that we know to prescribe or that we tell moms to do that can 100% guarantee that they won't get preeclampsia again. But uh, some of those big things that you can really do to help yourself and your future baby out are to um, any underlying health conditions that you have, maximize uh, those as much as you can get them as get as healthy as you can be. So um, one of the things that can increase your risk some for getting preeclampsia is obesity. So um, weight loss can be a big thing if your uh, uh, BMI is too high. Um, if you have underlying kidney issues or underlying blood pressure issues or heart issues, um, getting those to be in as safe and healthy as a place as you can possibly be. Um, and then some of the other things that uh, the research wasn't quite there yet when I had my second pregnancy. Um, it was really just in its infancy, but um, taking a baby aspirin has now been shown t- uh, to help decrease the risk of getting preeclampsia as well. The ideal time that we usually tell moms to start taking a baby aspirin is between about 12 and 16 weeks of pregnancy. I'm um, not really in that beginning of the first trimester, um, but taking it from t- starting taking it at about 12 weeks and then take it through till the end of the pregnancy. Um, we usually have pe- moms stop it at around 36 weeks. So taking that baby aspirin every day can be helpful to decrease the chances of getting preeclampsia again as well. Hmm. So if a mom is listening to this and is wanting to set up an appointment with her OB to maybe go over some risk factors or just kind of analyze her health, are there any good questions that she can ask her OB or things that she should keep in mind at her appointments? Sure. Well, um, at least the moms that have written in the questions here know exactly what to ask because these are all really good. They kind of nailed the nailed it on the head. Yeah, absolutely. we've also had a long time to think about it all. You know, <laughs> no, I, I you know just kind of like we talked about it. But I think um, being I, I am a big advocate for being proactive for your own health and your own well being, um, and including in the obstetrical world. And so, um, really, number one is finding a provider that you are comfortable with and that you can, I mean, because it really is kind of entering into a relationship that you're going to be seeing them quite a bit for the next, you know, nine to 10 months. And Mm -hmm. so finding someone that you're really comfortable with and feel comfortable asking the questions with and that um, you aren't so worried about, oh my goodness, are they going to think this is a dumb question? Or if I call in, are they going to, you know, kind of blow me off? Which I can say wholeheartedly with all of my partners, I, I know that doesn't happen at all, but just really feeling comfortable with, with your provider is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing would be asking about the baby aspirin. Am I a candidate for it? Would it be a good idea for me to start it? When should I start it? Um, and then what are we going to be doing throughout the pregnancy to monitor things? So you, um, we typically have moms that have had preeclampsia in the past. We add some more labs onto their new OB labs that are always done at the first visit. Uh, We check and see how much protein they have in their urine right then. Sometimes that's the only time that we that they have been seen since their last pregnancy, and there might actually be some underlying kidney issues. Um, So the earlier that we can diagnose that, the better. And so there's extra labs that will be um, put on at the new OB visit. But if you're seeing somebody prior to getting pregnant again, that's a great question to ask. Do you you think there was any underlying health condition that I have that um, maybe we should look into a little bit more before I get pregnant again? Um, And there's certainly different labs and some different studies that can be done that could look into that more. A follow-up question, and I want to make sure that it's asked, uh, is what environmental factors might contribute to uh, uh, a mom developing preeclampsia or HELP syndrome? The mom in question had talked a little bit about being exposed to certain chemicals and being on her feet a lot of the day. Are there any things that uh, a mother could do in subsequent pregnancies, anything they should be keep an eye on in terms of um, behavior and environment? Sure. That's a great question. Um, there, there, as far as for chemicals and things like that, that you'd be around on a daily basis, there really hasn't been anything that's shown to increase the risk for preeclampsia or help syndrome with that. Um, and as for being on your feet and, um, if you're on your feet too long, there actually isn't really anything that shows that that is harmful either. Uh, exercise can be very helpful as long as, 
you're not having an already existing blood pressure issue. Um, things that can increase your blood pressure if you're already having issues with it, that we would like you to avoid. Um, but in general, standing for longer periods of time, um, being around just normal household chemicals or things that you would be um, you know, normally exposed to really don't increase your risks for having preeclampsia or HELP syndrome at all. Okay. So Dr. Tompkins, as a, a two-time NICU mama yourself, as someone who has had preeclampsia and you've walked that walk of high-risk pregnancy, you have a really specific perspective, I think, that you can share with um, moms who are considering getting pregnant again after preeclampsia. Um, we've had a lot of great mental health providers on here uh, talk about uh, how to walk through the anxiety and the fear that live uh, in high-risk pregnancy. And I I just wonder if you have any words that you would share to one of your patients if they walked into your office with that those concerns. Yes. I, I think for myself personally and for any patients that I see that have had issues with pregnancies in the past, it, it's being very honest and open with yourself and your partners and those around you about your fears. I think sometimes we try to be just that you know, superwoman, I can do anything, nothing bothers me. I, I need to be the super, super strong one. Um, and it, certainly at times we do need to be that, but, and most of the times we are. Uh, but, you know, it's okay to recognize that, boy, I'm really struggling here. Like, I'm really having a lot of anxiety about this and reaching out for help. I think the worst thing that we could do is just try to shove it down inside ourselves and um, ignore it because it doesn't typically just go away on its own. And it's very normal to have a lot of anxiety. Uh, for myself specifically, I knew that I would be very anxious around the same time that I had gotten help syndrome with my first pregnancy. So for my second pregnancy, I actually um, took a week of vacation. We only get six weeks off in a year. Um, so that was all I was allowed off for maternity leave. But I thought that it'd be very important to take one of those six weeks and put that week in before I delivered. And so I, at 34 weeks, I, we took vacation. My in-laws came down to Phoenix. We went up to Sedona and just rented a timeshare and I did nothing. Mm. <laughs> I, they took care of my son. Um, we just spent some family time together and just relaxed. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I was close enough to good health care as well. But um, I, I just took that time for me. And um, it was interesting because right before that, my blood pressure was starting to go up and oh my goodness. I, I was so getting so, so anxious. And, um, I think I was kind of causing myself to have a little bit of higher blood pressure. Um, but just having that time away and getting a chance to, um, relax a little bit and really just spend some time focusing on myself and my family instead of just work and everything else that I needed to do was mm -hmm. very, very helpful for me. Um, uh, but I, I spent a lot of time, my second pregnancy, talking with my husband, talking about my fears about what was going on. Um, you know, anytime I had a little pain or anything going on, it was always like, oh my goodness, is this the starting of health syndrome again? Is this, mm -hmm. you know, any headache was just put me through the roof almost. So uh, I think just being very honest with yourself and asking for help it's and, and planning time for you um, is very important. I really think it's wise that that your encouragement is is focused on what what can you do um, before it gets out of hand you know the anxiety mm -hmm. if you know that walking into it it's going to be a long it's going to be a marathon mm -hmm. so to know yourself well enough to to do something that's prophylactic or preventative instead of just reactive to um being in in mental and physical crisis i think that's mm -hmm. so wise and also it's just it's like the biggest um, act of self-love that you can do as a mother, even if you have older children or if you have a, a really busy job, if you're a working parent, it's really, it's vital that you do that for you and for your kids. I, I couldn't agree more. It is just, uh, it's so important to take care of yourself and that's how you're going to be able to better take care of those around you. Mm-hmm. If it's okay, um, one question that I would love to make sure that we ask and kind of circle back to is if there are any lifelong or long-term effects on the mother who experienced preeclampsia and or for the baby. 
Uh, it's another just great question and something I wanted to really make sure that I addressed too. So thank you for bringing that up. The one of the concerns that we have for pre for a mom that has had preeclampsia or HELP syndrome or even gestational hypertension, which is um, kind of the precursor to preeclampsia or HELP syndrome, uh, and that is that lifelong, those women do have an increased risk of having cardiovascular disease. And so um, they really need to address that with their primary care provider at annual exams and need to be very proactive about, uh, you know, trying to exercise, eat healthy, um, make sure that you are keeping your blood pressure under good control, that it's being checked regularly, um, and that if you do start having blood pressure issues, that you're doing things to um, intervene with that early. Uh, but that definitely is in any woman that has had preeclampsia, health syndrome, or gestational hypertension in any pregnancy has about a 20% chance of developing cardiovascular disease later on in life. And the concern we have with cardiovascular disease is that that definitely increases your risk for having heart attacks and strokes. And so women really need to be aware of that and really be proponents of their own health as they're um, going on in life to make sure that those um, that that they're addressing that with their physician at annual exams. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as for babies, um, there's certain things, like if they're born early, there are the things that go along with being born early. Um, but there isn't, there hasn't been shown any problems specific to having preeclampsia or HELP syndrome that affects the babies throughout their life. That's really interesting to hear you talk about some of the potential health risks Mm -hmm. in the future with preeclampsia. I didn't know that. Knowledge is power. Yes, it is. And it's one of the things, because I've had it, it's one of the things when I'm doing well woman exams that I always ask people. And it's surprising how many times you'll ask somebody that's you know, in their fifties, have you, did you tell me, did you have any problems with any of your pregnancies in the past? Do you have any blood pressure issues? And like, oh yeah, at then they were saying that my blood pressures were getting really high. Um, or, oh yeah, I had preeclampsia, but you know, we delivered and everything was fine afterwards. I think we think that because everything went fine and you didn't have to be on blood pressure medications for the rest of your life from that incident, then it's kind of over, but it's not, it's something that needs to be addressed and looked at very carefully throughout your life. Yeah. And I have a question, and maybe this is kind of funny or an odd question, but, you know, sometimes I think after you deliver and you kind of recover from surgery and maybe time has passed since the trauma, you kind of wonder, like, was it really that bad? Was I really that sick? You know, what would you have any words of encouragement for a mom who, you know, just that you weren't making it up, that this actually really happened to you and your body? (laughs) Maybe that's a funny question. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. I think one of the most, I was, um, my OB was a a mentor of mine and I still every year on um, my, well, my son was a difficult delivery. My daughter's was even worse, which is a whole different story. But um, every, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every year on her birthday, um, I send a a text to my old ob in Phoenix thanking her for saving our lives and for everything she's ever done for us. And um, one time she said, I said, I just, I really wish I hadn't had to have the C-section. I realized it was necessary. And I said, why do you think my body just wouldn't, you know, go into labor? Why wouldn't I deliver? And she said, well, you know, Becky, your body was just trying really hard to not die. And I was like, wow, that really struck me. And I didn't, and I realize how serious it is. I've seen people die from this. And I know, you know, in fiction and reality, Downton Abbey and people do, people do die from preeclampsia. They have in the past, they still do despite excellent care because it is so serious, but that she was just very straightforward with it. But what she said, oh, I just, I think your body was trying really hard not to die. You can't be too hard on yourself. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. my goodness. Yeah, that is so true. So uh, my next one, I was able to have a VBAC. So obviously it, it does, um, you do, your bodies do work sometimes, but it, that when they're trying not to die, it's hard for your body to also deliver a baby. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. That so rings true to some of our previous interviews, um, especially with Parijat Deshpande, um, who is a, an author who writes a lot about high-risk pregnancies, mm-hmm. is that uh, we 
I don't know if it's just a trait of motherhood or the pressure that we get from the culture around us or what, but we have like completely unrealistic and uh, expectations for ourselves during delivery, pregnancy and delivery and for our bodies too. But mm-hmm. you know, if, if even just one thing isn't correct, we, for, we completely just, um, disregard the strength and resiliency that our minds and body shows showed in during those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, like my goodness, the fact that you uh, mentally and physically made it through a, a life threatening, you know, uh, experience uh, during labor, no less is pretty miraculous. So mm-hmm. cheers yeah. to the two ladies on here who've survived preeclampsia and help. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's, and people go in for heart attacks and strokes, and rarely do you come out with an s- extra person, you know, from that whole <laughs> right. thing. But we, <laughs> right. You and- persevere. You went through a horrible, horrible thing that your body had to go through, and you you mm-hmm. produced another human being out of it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> And then they're like, also, you have to produce 18 ounces of milk per <laughs> hour, and also you can't sleep ever again. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that and that's a tough thing as well. It, it's a whole different thing. But I mean, after you've had preeclampsia or when you have preeclampsia and after you've delivered, your body takes all the a lot of the fluids actually are third spaced. And so they don't stay in your vessels. It just that's why you get so much swelling. But you need so much fluid to be able to make breast milk. And so a lot of times we see moms after they've had babies and have preeclampsia or help syndrome have such a tough time getting a milk supply started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just always tell them, be patient with yourself. Keep on doing the pumping and the nursing. Um, you know, once things start to uh, kind of get back to normal, you, your breast milk supply usually really starts to bump up. But I had spent almost an hour getting about a teaspoon of colostrum and I got in a bottle and we were so proud of ourselves and my husband came in and was trying to be helpful and he washed out that bottle <gasps> with colostrum oh, no. yep it's the closest I've come to murdering a human being oh. I was like, <laughs> yep he still if we mention the word colostrum in our house he is just like nope you just that stuff's liquid gold you just really leave that alone <laughs> <Yep. Yeah. laughs> I love the idea that colostrum comes up in your family conversations frequently Oh, yeah. It's being married to an ob My husband had no idea what he was getting into. But he, yeah, he, he is. My kids are the ones that are more like, oh, my word, mom. Like, <laughs> I've learned not to ask anything about work at the dinner table. <laughs> they, they're like, oh, I don't even realize anymore what's really like, oh, I guess that maybe is a little bit different to talk about then. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, as we kind of come to the end of the episode, I would just love to hear from you, um, you know, because you've journeyed through this firsthand yourself and um, you deal with a lot of women that have high-risk pregnancies, um, a common thread with many of us is feeling like this was our fault. Like, I should have known better. I should have recognized the signs earlier. And, you know, if if you have a patient sitting in front of you or an expecting mom, what words of encouragement do you offer her? Well, one of the one of the very first things that I tell moms that have gone through anything like this, and I think it's important to just say it out loud, is that this isn't your fault. This what nothing that you did or could have done differently would have brought about a different outcome, because that really is true. Um, there is just preeclampsia has been around forever. Um, I'm hopeful that it can be eradicated at some point, but it sure doesn't look like it's going to be any time in the in the near future. And so it is it is um, something that we've been trying to do something about for so so long, and haven't been able to cure it yet. And so I, I feel really bad for the moms that blame themselves for having caused this because you didn't cause it. <laughs> it is something that um, happens to a lot of women and. There's nothing that you could have done to change that outcome, really, which sometimes is disheartening. But I also think um, it the very first thing that I thought when I got back to my room was, what did I do wrong? That was the first thought that came into my head. And and I know I didn't do anything wrong, but as a mom, boy, you are you are the only person up to that point that's done been able to do anything for your baby. And you feel so guilty that 
my baby had to be born early. My baby had to go to the NICU. You see that poor little thing in the, you know, in the incubator with the lines in it. My son was such a little bugger and he kept on pulling lines out of everywhere. So they had to put one smack dab in the middle of his head. And that just looks awful. And you feel so guilty, but it's not your fault. I mean, I tell moms to look on the other side of things. You brought this baby this far. Your body brought about this amazing little miracle that's laying here. And it fed this baby and it grew this baby and brought this baby to this point. And so I, I, I really emphasize that it is, you just can't emphasize it enough that it's, it, you didn't do anything wrong. You did everything right to get the baby to that point. Hmm. So mamas, if you hear anything from this episode, please hear <laughs> this. <laughs> I was just kind of drifting off into a world of, you know, meditation with Dr. Tompkins. It was her, her voice was so reassuring. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I agree. I was told by one of my high school classmates' dads that I should be a phone operator. I'm like, oh, oh okay. And yeah. you were like, oh. JK, I'm going to be a doctor, Timmy's dad. Well, he right? she actually <laughs> said, he wants, she wants to be a doctor, dad. And he was like, well, if that doesn't work out for her, she could always be a phone operator. I'm like, thanks. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> well, Dr. Tompkins, you are so incredible. And I just thank you so much for being so vulnerable about your personal story and also just so knowledgeable about preeclampsia and really devoting your life to understanding all things, you know, high-risk pregnancy. We're just, we're so grateful that you were here today. Oh. Yes. Thanks. Yes. We're, we're pretty blessed to have a wonderful, just the women in this area are just so strong and so amazing and so giving. It's, it's, um, it's a blessing every day to go to work and get to see that. So. Yeah. And you have such great partners too. I, oh, I, do I, I was in the, I know it's been fun. I've been, I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks antepartum. So I feel like I met like every OB. I can't, to be honest, I'm so sorry. I don't remember if I met you or not because, oh, I, yes, Meg. I but yeah. everybody was so lovely and they, um, I think that's, that's such a great, uh, precedent that you set for each other in terms of culture. You know, I think it's really wonderful. So we appreciate Yeah, we kind so of, we talk about it all the time, um, how unique it is to have this large of a group of people that get along that well, but we really do. I just adore my partners. Mm -hmm. They are, oh, they're spectacular. It's just what makes, it's one of the big things that makes my job just so, so fun and amazing. Mm, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. I love it. Well, Dr. Tompkins, thank you again for joining us on the podcast today. Your wisdom was so valuable, and we just appreciate the empathy that you brought alongside of it. And to any moms listening today that have had preeclampsia, um, just know that you are a survivor and that this was not your fault. And what you journeyed through and recovered from was really serious. And so we hope that today you felt validated in your birth experience and also educated on, you know, potentially what future pregnancies look like for you. And so we hope that it offered hope to your heart and peace to your mind today. And we just always appreciate you tuning in. So we hope that you are having a wonderful week and we can't wait to chat next time. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.